please stand for this morning's reading from Scripture, from Acts chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So continuing with my pal Walter Brueggemann from Prayers for a Privileged People, this particular prayer poem is entitled Our Charter of Entitlement and I hope it makes you squirm in your seat. Okay? Perfect. We're mostly the kind of people who do well and who mean well. We know how to do what needs to be done and we get up and do it. We have a sense of our worth and our capacity to perform. We care for our children and our futures and our good schools. And after good schools come college and learning and degree and profession and security. We sit in and enjoy our responsible entitlement that we have surely earned. But along with success and well-being, we wish our children happy, so we protect and extend adolescence. We build barriers against ugliness and failure and struggle with too much work and stress. We have treasure and all the signs of entitlement, all the props of affluence, all the symbols of well-being. How peculiar that we have it all and worry about immigrants who might acquire some small part of our legacy. In this moment of candor before you, we step into the gap in our lives between assured entitlement and the threat of immigrants, between the indulgence of our children and the violence that mostly lacks shame. Move us by your hovering that we may come to ourselves, that we may notice the ways in which we are far from home, that we may reckon how we have betrayed ourselves for quick fixes. Give us the capacity to return to you to be welcomed home, to be forgiven, to be invited to dance and then to a fatted calf and receive it all as a gift from you. As people of entitlement and violence, we converge with immigrants, we learn together how deeply in need we are. Receive us and move us that we may accept your welcome to newness. Return us to innocence even while we are frightened. Exhibit to us your great simplicity among our complex habits. Call us at last by our right names because we are yours. A long time ago, my father said to me, No matter what you decide to do, there are consequences. Which I accepted. 
but I was a little perturbed by that because in my brain, consequences was a bad. Consequences just sort of said that it was going to be bad. You do a bad thing, consequences are punishment. Consequences had this negative connotation for me. And it wasn't until I was in seventh grade and my father put me in the car and took me to the Rome Community Theater and said to me, you're going to read for a play. And I said, what do you mean I'm going to read for a play? I don't understand even what that means. And he said, well, he said, you've been reading a lot. And I've noticed that you read out loud very well. In seventh grade, I was teaching a preschool Sunday school class, and so I would read stories to them. And he said, you read very well. And he said, God knows you love to be in front of people. And he said, I think this would be a good thing for you to do. And I said, okay. And so I read for a part in the play, The Crucible, and I got the part of Betty Parrish. Now, those of you who know The Crucible and have seen it in the very first act, Betty Parrish is in bed. And everybody thinks that there's nobody there, it's just a dummy in the bed. The first scene, Betty Parrish gets up like this and screams. I could hear people going <gasps> in the audience. And the first night that that happened, I said to my father, who was also in the play because he too liked to be in front of people, and I said, wow. And he said, that, my dear, is a consequence of your loving to read. And I said, wow, you mean consequences mean that I get to do something like acting? And he said, yes, but you also have to work at that because he said acting requires other things, other skills that you need to do. As a result, I grew up in the Rome community, my homework in the costume room, and boy, did I learn how to do makeup. My father also was very active in the church. He was also active in the community, and when I was a child, he was the chair of the Migrant Commission in Oneida, Madison, Herkimer counties. As a result, I went to migrant camps as a kid, and migrant camps don't really exist much in our area anymore, but at that time it was bean pickers, and they would come up from Florida, and there were you know, lots of places that we would go, different migrant camps. My first paying job was in a migrant childcare center. But we would go and the, the churches would gather clothing and they would sell clothing to these people for nickels and dimes because in order to give it to them, it would betray their dignity. So you let them pay little bit that they get these things and also have their dignity. What happened as a result of that was I learned that just because somebody is 
different on the outside, it didn't mean they were different on the inside. And there was one little girl, Martha Jane Welch, who is now a nurse in Florida. But there was one little girl who I thought, you know, Martha Jane was really funny because my oldest sister is Martha and I was Jane and I just thought that was really cool. But she was a year younger than me. And I used to get books out of the library and take them to the migrant camp and then pick them up the next week to take them back to the library. Now, I'm absolutely certain the librarians would have had a stroke if they'd known I was doing that, but who cares? But I had a best friend living across the street from me, and Pam went out to the migrant camp with me, and because the kids knew me, and the little kids knew me, and they were hanging all over me, and she said, how do you hold hands with them? And I said, Oh, it's easy, Pam. You just put out your hand and they hang on. If only that were true. If we put out our hand and let them hang on. I'm as guilty as anybody else when it comes to homeless people who are collecting at street lights. I'm as guilty as everybody else. I will try to keep my window rolled up and I will look the other way and not make eye contact and I will feel guilty about it. But there's a time when reaching out your hand is all it takes. I don't do it all the time. I guess I have to just say that's part of my humanness. But we are really good at talking about people who are the other and keeping them at arm's length. It makes me really happy to know that Concord is an immigrant settlement area. I think that's awesome. So is Utica, so I'm familiar with this kind of a situation. But it's not easy for people to relocate to an area where they don't speak the language where they don't understand the culture. I spent some time in Mexico when I was in seminary. We had to do a cross-cultural experience, and I thought, gee, I went there and we took Spanish lessons, and I thought, wouldn't it be fantastic if I became fluent in Spanish and I could go and work until I found out that languages are not my forte. It is not one of my gifts. My son went with me, and he was able to take Spanish classes and opted out of senior Spanish in high school because he tested out of it because he spent six weeks in Mexico. He told me when he left, he said, I'm leaving so I won't be able to interpret for you. You are going to have to do it yourself. He is a nasty kid. <laughs> But I did learn that being in an area where I didn't 100% understand the culture, where I didn't speak the language or I understand it better than I speak it, where I wasn't sure how to navigate through the city and ended up in a neighborhood one night where I had no idea where I was or how far I was from where I was staying, I know that fear that you can feel in being the other in a community. But I didn't live there. I was only visiting. 
We talk about being outcasts and looking at other people and seeing, seeing their differences. And one of the things that I learned most by living on a reservation and being in the minority but being part of the dominant culture was that we have more similarities than differences with other people. There's a lot more points of contact where we can really resonate with other people than there are things that say, oh, that, no, can't, can't deal with that. I also learned that by working with drug addicts and alcoholics that we still had a lot more in common. We still were able to talk about our humanity in a good way. When my father died, which was very sudden, my mother and father-in-law came to his funeral service, which was held in a church about this size. And we had a receiving line afterwards because my mother would not have calling hours because she had her own little quirk about that. And when Paul and Phyllis went through the line, they said to me, we never knew your father was that kind of a person. We always thought you came from the other side of the tracks. You have no idea how hard it was for me to keep my mouth shut and not to just But I've never forgotten that, never forgotten how I felt to be that insulted. I've never understood why people feel that it is their place to put you down even when you're grieving. I've never, ever understood that. Needless to say, we did not have a close relationship. And actually, when my children were born, we had had puppies a year before my daughter was born, and they came every single week to see the puppies and never came to see my daughter. And I thought, who came from the wrong side of the tracks, folks? Who was it that was in the wrong? We learn a lot in our lives by our own experiences. And I can't even presume to know your experiences. I don't know when you have been hurt. I don't know what people have said to you that have cut you to the core. But my father died over 40 years ago. And I could still weep standing here. You don't get over things because time passes when you are hurt by somebody's insult or when you insult somebody and hurt them. It lasts forever, my friends. So we need to be careful about what we say and how we treat people and to know that we are all the same in God's eyes. I had a conversation earlier this week about the issue splitting our church. 
And I made the comment that first it was black pastors who were kept on the outside, and then it was women, and now it's gays and lesbians, and I can't help but wonder who is next. What are we going to trump up to say, ooh, they're not good enough to be part of us? We need to keep them out. Our passage this morning tells us that it's not about who's in and who's out. It tells us about how we're together. In God's eyes, we are all the same. So what I have to say to most of you, myself included, is get over yourself. Stop thinking you are better than, because you're not. Just like I said to the kids, there are some things that you are really, really good at, but not everything. So acknowledge that. Acknowledge that you're not the best at everything. Be able to be humble. A word I used yesterday as well. Be humble in how you interact with other people. We're human because God made us this way. But when we use being human as an excuse, which I did earlier, and I admit it, but when we use our humanity as an excuse for our behavior, we're copping out on God. God made us this way because we're wonderful. And God takes delight in us. So let's not forget where we come from, who we are, and whose we are. Amen.